The Upper Cumberland is filled with rich history that helped to shape our country to what we live in today. Join avid historian Troy Smith as he will tell you tales of characters and events that happened in your backyard. Mountain True starts now. You're listening to Mountain True from the Henson Oakley Podcast Center, Henson Oakley Family Dentistry, now offering Zoom teeth whitening at West Jackson Street in Cookville. Um, And now, Mountain True. I am your host, Troy Smith. Um, I am a a history professor from Tennessee Tech. Uh, My specialties include the American West, um, Native American history and culture, uh, the American South. And all those things are being tied together in this particular discussion that we started last time when we were looking at Essentially, the very dangerous job carried out by federal marshals in the post-Civil War period, both in Oklahoma and in the Upper Cumberland. Now, I talked last time uh, about why things got so violent in Oklahoma uh, because of the sort of wide-open jurisdictional situation that existed there. Um, Outlaws were drawn to the region. They could operate there with much less interference from law enforcement, uh, in large part because most law enforcement couldn't touch them, only the uh, uh, marshal service. Meanwhile, what's going on over here in Tennessee and, and the rest of the South? Well, a lot of this ties into the operation of moonshine stills, Um, the production, the home production of of liquor, which was an old tradition that people had been doing, not just in the mountains, but in rural areas of America for a couple of centuries, probably. Um, Some people say that uh, the Scottish and and Irish immigrants, the Welsh immigrants uh, who had come over in the early colonial era had carried some of these... uh, some of the knowledge of how to produce different whiskeys with them. We do know that in the 1700s that uh, a lot of farmers uh, in the north as well as in, in the southern states, a lot of farmers produced alcohol uh, in part because it was, well, well, in part because people would pay to drink it, right? It was, it was good money, but it was also practical because at that time, in the 1700s, if you have a corn crop uh, or something else that could be, you know, uh, transferred to uh, liquid form, then you would have have some difficulty in transporting your crop, uh, in storing your crop and getting it sold before it went bad because the transportation system, they didn't have trains yet, Um so the markets were kind of limited. If you could take that corn or, or other substance and liquefy it, um, like the old uh, like the old song says, says I get my corn from a jar. If you liquefy it, it's easier to store. Um, you can store it longer, and you can get more money for it. So it was a very common thing. Also, uh, back in the 1700s, the average American drank like a fish. Um, in comparison today, I think I remember the uh, the number that, that I read was alcohol consumption was about seven times higher 
uh, on the average per person than it is right now in the U.S. at that time. Of course, part of the reason for that was you couldn't really trust the water. If something had been distilled, uh, then it was going to be safe to drink. Now, if you know your American history, you will know that as early as the 1700s, when the U.S. government started trying to raise money for various government enterprises, one of the first things they, they turned to was taxation and taxation of whiskey. Uh, in fact, there was something called the Whiskey Rebellion uh, in, in the 1700s. Um, the local farmers in, in Pennsylvania... Uh, there's also Shays Rebellion uh, in Massachusetts, but the Whiskey Rebellion uh, in rural Pennsylvania, the, the farmers were uh, not real keen on being heavily taxed uh, on, on their, their liquid commodity. And so that led to uh, uh, some small uprisings. Well, the whiskey tax was eliminated, I think, in 1801 because it was very problematic, very difficult to get people to pay. Decades went by, and then the Civil War came along. During the Civil War, the United States government, um, that is to say the Union side of the Civil War equation, found themselves short of money to, to pay for the war. Yeah, war is an expensive business. And so they turned uh, to taxation to raise some money. They created the, uh, the Commission of uh, Internal Revenue in 1862, they started having income tax uh, for the first time, and that lasted throughout the war and for a few years afterward. Also, taxes were levied on vices, such as liquor. Now, during the war, uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, effort put forward to try to collect those taxes, in large part because there was a war. Right. Uh, everyone was pretty well occupied with shooting and getting shot at. Although there is one story that I've learned um, that pertains to our area uh, during the Civil War and actually uh, pertains to to me and to, to my family. I learned some years ago that my own ancestor, I think he was my great, great, great grandfather, Jim Bowles was the constable in Gainsborough during the Civil War. And in the closing days of the war, there was a, there was a bit of a tragedy that occurred. Um, constable Bowles, my ancestor, had, uh, had seized a large amount of homemade brandy. I mean, a really large uh, amount that was uh, designed for, for sale. And... His plan was to auction it off before the Yankees got there uh, and, and took it away and got the money for themselves. So he held an auction <clears throat> uh, in which people were coming, uh, people from the community coming to bid on this uh, homemade brandy. And uh, somebody brought their brand new uh, Navy revolver that they had just gotten and wanted to show off. And they were they were bidding on brandy and they were drinking brandy and they drank a lot of brandy. And somebody said something and somebody got mad. Uh, and somebody grabbed that gun and uh, emptied it into the crowd, shot six people, including my ancestor, Constable Bowles, who was who was killed. Um, his his wife, also my ancestor, had to uh, had to come get him in a wheelbarrow uh, and towed him home and bury him. 
I told uh, told my wife this story, and she said, so what you're telling me is your family hasn't really changed that much. Anyway, uh, this is some whiskey-related violence, right, in, in the Civil War. After the war was over, though, and Reconstruction uh, was in place, and the federal government was essentially occupying much of the South, um, and that affected other areas of uh, the mountain south. Tennessee, not as much, because Tennessee had been the first state, as my high school civics teacher, Burl Johnson, used to love to point out, the first state to, to come back. But there's going to be some, some problems where, where whiskey's concerned once the war is over. But for now, I want to remind you that you're listening to Mountain True, from the Henson Oakley Podcast Center, uh, Henson Oakley Family Dentistry, now offering Zoom teeth whitening, West Jackson Street in Cookville. So now back to back to our discussion. The, the administrations of the Republican presidents U.S. Grant and Rutherford B. Hayes after him, uh, those administrations were determined to actually enforce the laws, particularly in the South, about taxing uh, this homemade alcohol. So representatives of the internal revenue um, started to cooperate with uh, authorities, including local authorities, and in some cases when conditions warranted the marshal service to try to stamp out the large amount of unlicensed, untaxed, illegal alcohol that was being made. Now, it wasn't illegal to make alcohol, but you had to pay taxes on it if you sold it. Um, and if you were going to produce uh, a large amount, then you were required to have a license, which just made it easier for the government to keep up with you and to uh, tax you. Now, a lot of these folks up in the mountains, uh, and we're talking about not just, well, the, the Ozarks in Arkansas uh, and Missouri, but uh, for our, our interests here, we're talking about southern, central and southern Appalachia. So we're talking about uh, eastern and middle Tennessee. Uh, we're talking about northern Georgia and Alabama, western North Carolina, eastern Kentucky. Those farmers, many of them had been making their own alcohol. Uh, for for generations, and many of them, uh, actually many of them had supported the Union during the Civil War. Most of the people in the mountainous areas were pro, pro-Union in large part because you, you couldn't grow cotton in those mountainous regions. Therefore, there was not as much need uh, for or demand for, for slaves. Uh, so from the perspective of some of the people who live there, not as much to fight about. Um, but once this government occupation was was taking place after the war and people were coming in and demanding those taxes, uh, the, uh, the feelings of, of loyalty to, to the government uh, kind, of, uh, kind of evaporated as they tend to do. It's a longstanding American tradition going all the way back to even before the Boston Tea Party. People don't like paying taxes. So there was resistance to this. And those government agents who were trying to ferret out 
the uh, illegal manufacturers and and sellers of the alcohol, people from the Internal Revenue Service, they they were referred to as revenuers, uh, revenue men. And uh, well, in northern Georgia, just as an example, northern Georgia, in the late 19th century, post-Civil War, uh, one report uh, indicates that somewhere around 80% of the court cases in northern Georgia pertained to arrests involved with the illegal manufacture and sale of, uh, of alcohol or tangentially related to it, people resisting arrest, for example. Now, I said that uh, there was some violence uh, here in the Upper Cumberland. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of federal marshals, as I pointed out, were killed in this period, 56 in the South. Um, some of them, well, many of them uh, in Tennessee were in East Tennessee. Uh, there were a few in the Nashville area, uh, but there were some here as well. So I would like to just briefly talk about a few of those. The, uh, the earliest example that we have is um, Deputy U.S. Marshal James P. Everett, who in July, on July the 10th, 1874, was traveling through uh, Lynchburg uh, when he was ambushed by the Ku Klux Klan. So this probably didn't have anything directly to do with, uh, with moonshine or alcohol, um, the federal government uh, was trying to suppress the uh, Ku Klux Klan in this time period. So uh, several Klan members ambushed Marshal Everett, shot him from his horse. Uh, then when he fell from his horse, rushed him and, and fired more bullets into him. Uh, they then took the arrest warrants that he had stuffed in his saddlebags. He had quite a few, took them and destroyed them all. Now, I said tangentially it might be connected to moonshining. We don't know if maybe some of those warrants may have been uh, alcohol-related. Um, and most likely uh, his mission uh, was trying to bust up the Klan, so uh, that's probably uh, more what it involved. He wasn't the only federal marshal to die in that, that time period. At the hands of the Ku Klux Klan, by the way, there was another similar instance in North Carolina. I think there was one in Mississippi. Well, uh, a few years after that, in the 1880s, specifically April the 8th, 1881, there was an incident that involved two marshals in Macon County, Tennessee. Deputy Marshal Henry C. Graves, aged 50, and his, and his partner um, were, they had recently transported some prisoners. They were traveling through Macon County, and they were staying overnight at uh, the private home of some individuals who had allowed them to, to stay over. So they're there sleeping, and there's gunfire outside. And immediately they rush outside to see what's going on. The whole thing uh, was uh, an ambush. The, the gunfire was designed just to draw them out and arouse their curiosity when they uh, when they ran out, they were they were fired upon, and Marshal Seacraves was killed, uh, shot in the chest. Uh, the report says that he he was robbed, and some people ascribe that as the motive, robbery. But really, 
if you if you, if you think about it, with this this much negative feeling toward the the federal marshals and the federal government, would someone entice federal deputies that they know are deputies out of a house uh, just because they want to see you know how much cash they have on them? That probably was a side thing. Uh, so neither of those incidents were directly related to to moonshining, but the next couple were. And we'll look at them next time. You've been listening to Mountain True. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center.